Good morning. <laughs> Oof, wow. Hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Gary. I'm one of the pastors. Welcome to the meeting place. Today we're wrapping up our series that we've titled Redemption, where we've been traveling and tracking through arguably one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, uh, the Exodus story. It's found in the second book of the Old Testament, second book of the Bible. It's the story where God comes and through a series of miraculous events, frees his people, the Israelite people, from a life of slavery at the hands of one of the most brutal nations on earth at the time, Egypt. And last week, we looked at one of those miracles, the one where God parted the Red Sea for just long enough for all those people to get through on dry ground and escape the hands of the Egyptians who would come to take them back into slavery. And we saw how within days of that miraculous rescue, the people began to complain They were worried that they didn't have any food and water. And so they began to pine and lament for the past, thinking, oh, we had it so good back in Egypt. We had pots of meat and all the bread we wanted to eat, seemingly forgetting that they had cried out to God to set them free because life was so oppressive, so difficult. But God shows up again. He hears their cries of complaint and he provides for them giving them meat. We heard how all these quail would fly into the camp where they were staying at night. They didn't even have to hunt. They just went out and grabbed a bird. And then in the morning, how the dew would dry and it would turn into bread and they had tons of water. And this just keeps repeating itself day after day. And three months later, as they're journeying their way through this hostile land, this desert, heading towards this land that God had promised them, They find themselves camped at the base of a mountain, a mountain called Mount Sinai. One day when they're there, their leader, Moses, climbs up this mountain to meet with God. God's living in this cloud, kind of hanging over this this mountain. And so Moses climbs up this mountain to go have a one-on-one with God. And while they're talking, God gives Moses a set of instructions, a set of rules for these people to live by. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word rule or rules, I kind of get my back up because I don't like being told what to do. But if you take a step back for a moment, these rules, these instructions are an immense gift steeped in a lot of wisdom. You see, these people had, had known nothing but slavery for over 400 years. There was a life that where they had been told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and now they're free. And they have no idea what to do with it. As we heard last week, slavery is simple. Slavery is predictable. Freedom is neither. And so to keep them safe, God lays out some rules to help them function as individuals and as a community. He gives them rules about how to to relate to one another and to God. And here's how the first rule goes. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. So right away he reminds them, I'm the guy that did that. And remember, this is why you left there, because of your slavery. 
God goes on. He says, you must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Which means he's jealous for you. He wants you to himself. And I will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. In other words, God says, don't seek, don't try to find your life, your joy, your satisfaction in anything or anyone but me. I'm everything you need. Seems simple enough. Moses comes down from the mountain and he shares all these instructions with these people. And they're like, sounds good. Sign us up, man. We're in. We'll we'll follow the rules. It's good. And shortly after that, Moses heads back up the mountain to talk more with God. And he ends up being gone for 40 days. And the people at the base of the mountain begin to get a little anxious, a little restless. And when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Aaron's Moses' brother. And he says, come on. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to that fellow Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. And then he announced, Tomorrow, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. And so the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking And they indulged in revelry. It was like a teenage block party gone wild. I know we're not supposed to point the finger, you know, judge other people. But but I'll be honest, when I read that, it just seems dumb. Like, really? After all the things God has done for these people, after just 40 days, they decide to bail on them. And the agreement they made with them. And they instead place their trust, their hope in something else. In this case, an inanimate object that they created themselves. You you, you hear it that way and it's like, how ridiculous is that? But as the saying goes, when you point the finger at someone else, you got three pointing back, right? Which is another way of saying, before passing judgment, you should take a look at yourself first. And so I did that. I just took some time and you know what? I'll be honest, there have been times in my life, are times in my life, when I put my hope, my trust, in other things. Some pretty crazy things in the past, like my paycheck. If you're around for the dot-com stocks, I was all in on that. It's like, oh, that's a sure bet. It sure didn't take me long to see that I'm really no different, no better than the people in this story when it comes to where I place my hope, my trust. And I'm sure the same is true for you to some degree, because here's the thing. We all put our hope in something. The question is, what is that thing? 
For some, our hope is in our job. We put our hope in our job or the company we work for. For some of us, we, we place our hope in our social status, or our relationships, or friendships. Others of us, we put our hope in our money, or our investments. Some of us put our hope in ourselves, our own abilities, our smarts, our talents, our education. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention promises. How many of us here haven't put our hopes in those before? Promises of a promotion. Promises of a raise. Promises of you buy this stock and you can't lose. Promises of love until death do us part. All of us put our hope in something or someone. Someone or someone that we think can help us navigate and get through this thing called life. The question remains, what are you putting your hope in? Who or what are you hoping will save you? Money? Power? Prestige? Position? People? Moses eventually comes down from the mountain. And when Moses came near to the camp and saw the calf and the people dancing, his anger flared. And he threw down the tablets. This is that big scene from the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston when he throws down the, the tablets and they smash. And smash them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf they had made, melted it down with fire, pulverized it to powder, and then scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. Kind of weird, eh? What was happening, this, this was Moses' way of saying, how ridiculous is this? That we would worship and place our hope in something so completely powerless that I could destroy it and you can consume it. In what or who are you placing your hope? The answer to that question is important because if it's anything other than God, you'll be let down. Because who or whoever or whatever it is won't and can't come through for you. Only the God who created you, who thought you up, dreamt you into existence, and who loves you more than you'll ever begin to ever imagine is able to deliver on the promises he makes to you and to me. But in a lot of ways... I kind of understand how these Israelites were feeling and why they chose to place their hope and their trust in this, in this calf that they made. And I think it's because they could see it. It was tangible. It was tactile. You know, personally, I find it harder to trust in something that I can't see or touch. And that translates when it comes to God. Although I do my best to trust him, there are times when things are going on in my life that I find that really hard. And it's during those times that, as we're going to hear here in a second, like Moses, I wish I could just actually see him. So I would know he's there, that he's real. And shortly after this whole golden calf incident, Moses heads back up the mountain to try and get some reassurance from God uh, that he's doing what he's supposed to do. 
He's trying his best to lead these people, but they don't seem to be responding. And so he says to God, you have been telling me, take these people to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom will you send with me? You've told me, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. And if that's true and you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember, I love this, and remember, this nation is your very own people. They're not mine, they're yours. And the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Moses is thinking, oh, I'm on a roll here. This is pretty good. And so he asks God for one more thing. He says, God, do you think I could see you face to face? I want to see you. God's like, Moses, dude, (laughs) you couldn't handle it. He's like Jack Nicholson from from that movie. You You can't handle the truth. God's like, that's like asking to experience the full energy, heat, and brightness of the sun. And now you're asking to experience the full force and heat and energy of the one who created the sun with a mere word. You can't handle it. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to let you have a little glimpse. And so he gets Moses to kind of go into these rocks. And he puts his hand in front of him. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. God says a lot about himself. Some of it's good, some of it kind of makes us not too sure about that. But he shares what he's like, what his character is like. And I believe he does it for no other reason than to let us know that he is good. He can be trusted, and we can fully and confidently put our hope in him. We can put our hope in God because God is compassionate. And don't mistake in compassion for feeling sorry for you. Because that's a totally different... Feeling sorry for someone is feeling sorry for someone. Compassion is something completely different. It's when someone else's pain goes from your head to your heart to your hands. And you feel that pain and you do something about it. And that's what God has been doing through this whole story. He's saw their suffering, he heard their cries, he felt for them, and then he did something about it. He set them free. You can put your hope in God because he's gracious. I love the Hebrew language because it's deeper and more rich than the English language. Each Hebrew word kind of evokes a picture of something. And for graciousness, the, the, the picture it's painting is that of someone very, very strong helping someone very, very weak who doesn't deserve it. A good illustration for us is those hero movies we watch when the villain is trying to get the hero through the whole movie. And at the end, the tables turn and the villain is near death. 
And the hero was standing over him and he could just snuff him out and that would be the end. And we're all like, yeah, don't wipe him out. And instead, the hero reaches down and gives him life. You can put your hope in God because he's slow to anger. God doesn't fly off the handle, lose his temper over arbitrary things like I tend to do from time to time. A couple months back, I was cutting our lawn and I went out to the garden shed, got out the weed eater, the brand new weed eater that I'd used once. And I went through the startup procedure, prime the pump, flip it on to on, put the choke on and I started to pull and I pulled and I pulled and I pulled and it's like nothing. It's like, okay, well, maybe I did something wrong. So I went back and I went through the whole startup procedure again. Turned it on, primed the pump, put the choke on. I pulled and I pulled and I pulled. And I think it was on the fourth pull, I absolutely lost it. It just had a total meltdown. Threw the thing around, taught the birds that were in the trees some new language. Uh, maybe the neighbors, if the doors were open. You know, but thankfully, God's not like me. He's patient. He's slow to anger. He can put up with so much more than you and I ever could. You can put your hope in God because he abounds in love and faithfulness. I looked up some synonyms for the word abounds. Here's some of them. Plentiful, abundant, copious, inexhaustible, lavish, luxuriant. There is nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less than he loves you in this moment right now. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And because of that, you can count on God being there for you. Even if you think you deserve it or not. When you call, he'll be there. Just like he was for the Israelites in this story. You can put your hope in God because he's forgiving no matter what you've done, or no matter what you haven't done, God is willing and waiting to extend forgiveness to you. To give you that do-over again and again and again. You can put your hope in God because he is just. God is committed to justice, and sometimes that's awesome. But you know what? At other times, not so much. And here's what I mean by that. I like that God is just and that I know he's kind of overseeing all the injustices and the atrocities that we hear and see on the news. But I like that justice as long as it stops right about here. That it doesn't apply to me when I screw up. I prefer God's justice when it deals with someone else's stuff. The things other people do. Not too enthusiastic about God's justice when it applies to me and my mess-ups. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if God graded on a curve? Because I can always find someone that I'm better than. And here's the truth. I'm not. Nobody is. We're all the same. All of us mess up. All of us screw up. Listen to these words we read from the New Testament. It says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. God set the bar. You know what? We don't measure up. We can't reach that bar. And you know, we don't like that. 
I don't like that because I like being on the right side of the line. I like being over top of the bar. But throughout the Bible, God says the same thing over and over and over and over again about himself. That he is just. You know what? That is a good thing. You know what I find even better? The reality that God provides a way for me and for you to be set free. So we can live life to the fullest, like he designed it. Right after the verse that we just read, where we all fall short, are these words. And all, Greek word for all, all, all are justified freely, can't buy it, can't barter for it, can't trade for it, can't earn it. Justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Beautiful words. They mean that my hope, your hope of walking in and experience freedom here and now is not based on our ability to measure up, to check the boxes, to do everything perfectly, to follow the rules. It's entirely made possible because of the unchanging character of God and his willingness to keep his promise to us. The same promise that he made to the Israelites thousands of years ago, which was this. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. He said to Moses, I'll be with you when you go to Pharaoh. And he was. I'll be with you as you escape Egypt. And he was. I'll be with you when you walk through the Red Sea. And he was. I'll be with you as you journey through the desert. And I'll be with you when you enter the land I promised to you. And he was. This whole story, this is the really cool thing about the Bible. This whole story, this Exodus story, is a foreshadowing, an overarching plan, of an overarching plan that God had put into motion long ago. That God himself would one day come down to be with his people. And he did that when he came down on that Christmas as Jesus. Another name for Jesus is Emmanuel, which is God with us. You can put your hope in Jesus because he has done everything he can to prove his love to you. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know what that did? It made it possible for us to be set free. That ultimate act of love is what makes our redemption possible. All of us here are standing on one side of the Red Sea or the other. I don't know where that is for you. Maybe you're on this side. You're still back in Egypt and you're still caught up by an awful taskmaster. You're wrapped up in the slavery of addiction or whatever it happens to be. You haven't chose to take that path that God created. 
Some of us are on this side of the Red Sea. We've been set free. We've, we've walked through the Red Sea. But now we're smack dab in the middle of a desert. We've been set free, but we still struggle. We struggle with our addictions, with our old habits, our old way of life. And I don't know where you are in that, but here's what I do know. None of us are standing in total freedom yet. We haven't entered that ultimate place that God has promised to all those who choose to follow him. That place being heaven, the ultimate place of rest. And I think that's why we can relate to these people who lived thousands of years ago. Because as we look in and read their story about their journey in the desert. And the struggles they had and the working out of their faith. As they made their way to this promised land. We can see our story. We can see that we're just like them and they're just like us. We've been set free, but we're not in that ultimate place of freedom yet. And on this journey, we are going to mess up. We're going to continue to struggle. We're going to fail. Which is precisely why we need hope. Hope that is found nowhere else but in Jesus. Slavery is simple. Slavery is predictable. The journey to freedom is neither but we can be encouraged as we remember that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I don't know where you are with all of that. But if you're here and you're thinking, man, you know, I've heard enough about this God, this Jesus that I think I'm ready to take my next step, whatever that step is. Uh, if, if you haven't placed your trust in, and hope in the God that loves you more than you could ever begin to imagine. I'm going to say a prayer in just a couple of seconds here. And I would invite you to just silently pray that prayer in your heart. And just say, God, yeah, I, I've tried and here I am. And afterwards, you know, if you pray that prayer, we'd love to hear from you. Because again, this is a journey. We're all on a journey here. Nobody's got this all figured out. Uh, you could let the awesome prayer team at the back know, fill out a connection card, let me know, what, whatever. But we'd love to come alongside you as you continue to journey. So I just invite you to, to bow your heads and just, you just pray this if, if you feel led to pray. God, Thank you for making me. Thank you for making me and loving me. Even though if I have ignored you, I've gone my own way, and put my hope and trust in things other than you. I realize that I need you in my life. And I want to say I'm sorry. Sorry for my mess-ups my mistakes, my stubbornness in believing I could manage life on my own. And so I accept your gift of grace and forgiveness. I thank you for dying on the cross for me so that I could be freed from the things that enslave me. But you've got to help me understand it more. 
And as much as I know how, I want to follow you from now on. And each day learn to trust you more and more. I invite you into my life and ask that you would make me new inside. Help me to continue to grow in my love for you, myself, and others. Amen.